Hey, this is Jason Hansen. I'm the lead pastor at Anchor Church. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. I hope that as you listen, you're encouraged in your walk with Jesus to live for him, to tell others about him. Thank you for joining us. I hope that you're encouraged. Amen. Well, I want to add my voice to Tyler's. My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, If I have not met you, welcome. Um, If I have met you, uh, thanks for coming back. So thankful for you coming back. Thank you for being a part of this church. Thank you for for jumping in and joining us this morning as we spend some time in the Bible. You can open your Bible to Ephesians. We're going to be in Ephesians 1. We are in a series. We just started it. You're actually coming in. If you're you're new this morning, maybe this is your first time, you're jumping in at a really good time because we're just starting uh, this series through the whole book of Ephesians. We we spent some time in January talking about an overarching series that we're trying to think through uh, in, in 2021 called Love God, Love People. We have wristbands that say Love God, Love People on them to remind us just, hey, this is where what we're doing. This is what we're about. This is how we want to think about these things. Uh, If you want to get one of those, let us know. We'd love to give you one of those. Um, So that's our 2021 theme. But this series we're talking about in Ephesians is called We Are. And it's trying to find our identity in the book of Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesians. And we're in the very beginning. We're going to be in verses 7 through 8 Just two verses this morning as we go. Uh, Last week, we talked about blessing number one in this opening section. And today, we're going to talk about blessing number two as we see through, uh, see in this opening to this letter to the Ephesians. A couple years ago, maybe three years ago-ish, my wife Tiffany and I and our family uh, were considering moving to uh, Oregon. We were considering moving to Eugene, Oregon. There was a church up there that that had asked us to uh, come up there and consider... uh, taking over a lead pastor role at a church that was in Eugene, right outside of the University of Oregon, which is one of the only reasons I thought about it, because I thought, well, sports are good, I guess. I mean, I've never really been up into the Northwest, so we thought, well, maybe we'll give it a shot and see where it goes. So we got down to this place where they were thinking about asking us to come, and so Tiffany and I, my wife, we, we went up there, and we flew up there. It was the first time I'd ever been up that far into the Northwest, and, and the one concern I had that I wasn't sure how we would manage is that uh, it's, I don't know if you know this, but it rains, up there. Uh, it rains up there. I know. Grady knows. He's, they used to live up that way in Seattle. They, uh, it, it rains up there. So Tiffany and I, you know, we get off the plane. We knew it was going to be rainy. What we didn't realize was how misty the rain was. I mean, it just felt like you're constantly wet, like you're just constantly soaked through. And, uh, and, and so we were, we were there. It was dark. You know, it was a little dreary. It was rainy. Now, I don't know if you know this. Phoenix is not like that. Phoenix is not like that. We, we wondered if we could make it. You know, the changing of the seasons. Everybody kept saying, the summers are great. You're like, okay, well, that's three months, all right? So what about the rest of the year? Uh, well, the rest of the year is kind of rainy. Okay, it's a long, dark winter, isn't it? I'm from, I'm from the Midwest. I'm from the outside of Detroit, the East Coast, east of the Mississippi, and, and there as well, it is a long, dark winter, isn't it? We talk about seasons. We say, yeah, summer's great. Even if you go into the Michigan area, the fall, I love the fall in Michigan. It's wonderful. The spring, starting in April, is really good. But December through the rest of the year is just brutal. It's a long, dark winter. And church, church family. We use that language also, seasons, right? We have seasons. Some of them are bright, long days. 
Some of them are, are dark, short days. Depends on what that is. Dark seasons. There's light seasons. There's crisp seasons. Different changing of seasons. We use season language when we talk about life, don't we? Seasons of life. We walk through various seasons of life. Some of them are really good. Some of them bring a lot of happiness. Some of them bring a lot of excitement. Some of, them, some of these seasons of our lives, you've experienced them if you've lived long enough. You've experienced those seasons of this is just a really good season. Oh, wait, we just had this great season. Some seasons are long, dark seasons, aren't they? Yes? You know what I'm talking about? Long, dark seasons. Just live long enough and you'll experience them. This language, this, you know, we have, we have these seasons that come and go. We, Lord, you know, I'm grateful that it seems like God's kind to us and most of the seasons in life go from fall to spring, but we, we all have some of these seasons that are winters. We love the summer seasons, but we have winter seasons too. And you will have a winterish season in your life. I, listen, I know some of your stories. We've talked through them. Over the last two and three years, some of you have experienced long, dark winters. Dark winters of life. But church, here's what we think about Ephesians 1, verses 7 and 8. We want to see a blessing. You know, these blessings in this book, and this, we're going to see four of them in the first 14 verses. The second blessing that we're going to see helps us to remember that even in your most winterish season, the season that you feel like you are the neediest, you don't have much to stand on, it is hard, it is seems seemingly uh, lots of sorrow, lots of hardship, lots of struggles, lots of trials. In these seasons, here's what you need to understand. Blessing number two, big idea for today. In Christ, your joy is untouchable since God met your greatest need. In Christ, your joy is untouchable since God has already met, Christian, your greatest need. Say amen if you agree with that statement. Listen, here's the problem, family. Here's the problem. There are times in those seasons, the dark ones, where you will not feel joy-filled. You will not feel joy. You won't. Some of you are in that right now. You don't feel joy. Some of you deal with depression. We've talked about it. Some of you have had death in your families. We've talked about it. Some of you have just had a really hard time walking through this COVID season. Some of you have children that, that their lives didn't turn out the way that you wanted them to. Some of them, your life didn't turn out the way you wanted it to. And you feel like, oh, joy is hard to come by. How do we apply this reality in Christ? Your joy is untouchable when you don't feel joy filled. When you don't feel like joy. We're going to answer that question through Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through 8. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read, uh, starting in verse 3, uh, like we have the other, uh, these last couple weeks, and we're going to read through verse 14, 3 through 14, but we're going to just zero in on and focus on chapter 1, verses 7 through 8. Listen, in Christ, blessing number two, in Christ, your joy, church, is untouchable since God has met your greatest need. We're going to see that here in Ephesians 1. So let's read, and then we'll uh, just break it down a little bit and figure out how we can live this out this week as we go forward, and then we'll sing some more. That's going to be the rest of the morning. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. That's in Christ. In him, this is our verse this morning, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works, all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his Glory. I love how Paul can't get through a number of lines without just saying, to the praise of his glory. Because Paul is enamored with the God that he worships. He is enamored with the, with the glory of him and to the praise of his glory and to the worship of him. And he keeps saying, blessed be the God. We Listen, this, is, this should be a heart, uh, um, maybe a, a check for us. How do we relate to him as we talk about him? As we think about him, are we like, oh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, to the praise of his glory. I know I'm not. I know I can, I can add some of this language into my own uh, verbiage. Even as I'm praying, Lord, to the praise of your glory. We, we want to learn from these kinds of things. That's, that's for free. That's not even a part of the sermon. That's just for free for you this morning, all right? We, we've, we've been at uh, verse three through six. We saw early on, that these blessings are in the heavenly places. They exist outside of us in a realm that, that as we're going to see this morning, we, they can't, we can't touch, which means we can't mess it up, which is good news for us because we are good at that, aren't we? We're good at messing things up. And just, he's saying this is in the heavenly places. And then we saw uh, last week that before the, uh, before the uh, foundation of the world, our eternal hope was secured by God for us. And if you notice, we're going to actually walk through this a little bit. He started off, last week was blessing number one, before the world even was made. Today is a when Jesus died for our sins on the cross. Next week is going to be a little bit more into the future. This idea of finding us, uh, having fullness of time. What does that look like? And then ultimately, it's future inheritance. Paul's walking through almost a, a timeline. A timeline of blessing through these number of verses. And, and here we're going to talk about the moment of redemption. We read here, in him, in Christ, which is, which is really what we want to focus on here in Ephesians, this in Christ language. We, we as Christians, our Paul says we are in Christ and there's blessings in him. In Christ, we have redemption. And he's referring to, as he talks about this, through his blood, the work of Jesus on the cross. His 
his, it's, it's actually the, the globalness of his arrival and his perfect life and his death on a cross and his subsequent resurrection where he still lives. Like we don't serve a dead savior church. We serve a live one. And that's good news for us this morning. We serve one who is alive. He is not dead. And that's why, you know, we, sometimes we, you look around at the Christian, uh, Christian scene, people that they have the crosses, which is fine. It's, it's a symbol of Jesus' death. But there's a reason why, as we look at it, there's nobody on it. Because he's not there anymore. The grave cannot hold the living one. And so it's in the living one, it's in him where we find redemption. Redemption meaning this, being freed from chains, being freed from bondage, being set free. We have been set free in Christ. The chains that he's referring to, this redemption and the chains you have were sin, this thing where we, we wanted to go our own way. We said how, oh, you know, we, at one point in Adam, we served him. We served God. We, in Adam, we were perfect, but then Adam sins. We saw this back at Genesis 3. He sins and it comes down to us. Thank you so much, Adam. Thank you. <laughs> because it set our traje- lives on a, on a weird trajectory, didn't it? There's, before we knew who he was, before we knew who God was, we didn't want anything to do with him. If we did, it was cursory. It was like, oh yeah, there's a God out there. But what Jesus does is he says, look, you, you are in bondage. You need redemption. Church, here's the reality. What we live for owns us. What we live for owns us. What do you live for? What, what's the most important thing to you? What you live for owns you. And it will demand that you die for it. Maybe not, maybe not, you know, okay, you're going to die for it. But, but parts of you just continually die when you have something that crumbles that you're worshiping. It's, a, it's idolatry. We think this is what I'm living for. It requires something of you in your life. It requires something of you. The problem is, is if it's anything other than the living God, it will fail. It will falter. It will go away. It will at some point enter into a winterish season. And it can't, it can't stand up against that church. What is it that you're living for? Jesus comes to say, listen, you are living for something other than me. I, God Almighty, made you. You're a creature made by me, the creator. And you went your own way. You did your own thing apart from me. And whatever you're living for now, it will will crush you at some point. I then am going to come and buy you back. It's redemption. I get to buy you back. Jesus bought us back. When I'm driving down the road, you ever see a tow truck driving down the road with a car behind it? I, I have two thoughts when I look at a tow truck when I'm driving down the road. One is, I wonder if that car broke down. The other one is, I wonder if that car has been repossessed. Because I used to work in a repo yard for a summer. And every morning, there'd be 10 new cars. I'd walk in just like the repo guys were all night working. Go, go, and, go in, the, in the tow, they'd pull the tow truck up, they'd go as fast. Those guys would practice in the yard and I'd watch them. I'm like, it takes them five seconds. Back up, up, it's gone. The car's gone. They're really good at their jobs. So I'm like, 10 cars. And my job was to go through every car 
And it was, to, it was to take everything out of the car and catalog it, make sure I knew what it was. Got to be careful. I found a lot of handguns and needles in those cars. But my job was to catalog everything, put it in a box, and set the car there. I got really good to breaking into cars. I can break into lots of cars. It's like a, it's a hidden skill. I know, how to turn the, I know how to turn the alarms off. I know how to get in there. I know how to, pretty much any car I could break into without breaking the window. I got really good at it. <laughs> so so we, we get to this, I get to this spot where I catalog everything, these cars are there, and ultimately, a lot of times, somebody would show up. Now, I'm in a gate, they can't get to me, there's barbed wire and everything. I'm standing there across the gate, and they say, hey, can, I'd like to get my car back, and they'd always say, it's just, it was just one, I just missed one payment. I'm like, I don't know what to tell you, man. Um, but you want to get your car back? Look, you got to pay something. You gotta, you're going to have to pay some money to get this back because these guys took it. So you give them the, how much they pay it. They, they pay their fee and they buy it back. They buy their car back from me in the prison yard. Prison yard. Essentially what it was, this, this, these cars were in prison with me and I got to let them go. They would take their hard-earned money and they would give it to me for the, their car, for the redemption of their car. Listen, Jesus did not use money to buy us back. Jesus used something more precious than that. In him we have redemption through his blood. There is nothing more precious than the blood of the living God shed for you. And that blood is not, look, that car can get repossessed again if they don't pay it again. Here's the difference. Jesus says, once for all, my blood for you. Redeemed, redemption happens through the person and the work of Jesus Christ, the living God. It is his blood. This is, this is something that we need to make sure we grasp. We need to sit down underneath this and ponder this. It was the blood of Christ on the cross that we, we find our redemption. Blood bought freedom in him. It's in him that we have redemption through his blood. We, we see this. We want to make sure that we get this. We want to sit in this. And likewise, very similarly, he also says, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, meaning the forgiveness of our sin. Sin, uh, we've talked about a little bit. It's just this idea of, of living our own way, doing what, whatever we want to do without consideration of God. We sometimes think of sin as like murder, and that is sin. But that's not the only sin. The Bible, Bible points out lots of sins, from jealousy to anger to selfishness, things that we'd go, oh, really? Those are the kind of the same things? Yeah, that's sin. As we think about it, that's what the Bible calls as sin. But in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. This is very similar, but it adds one, uh, one thing to it. You can get out of the repo yard. You can be brought out of that thing and say, oh, good, I'm free. What, is, what good does it do us if we walk out free but still covered in our guilt and our shame of turning our backs against the living God, the creator? He says, not just that you're free, you're forgiven. It's as if you've never sinned. Look, I, he looks at me, church, he looks at you, Christian, forgiveness, as if you've never done anything wrong. Now, he knows we have He's not stupid. He's the living God. But he chooses to say, you are forgiven because you're covered by the blood. We're covered by the blood. I love how the Bible talks about these kinds of things. The Bible uses language 
in the Old Testament to talk about what it means to be forgiven. Psalm 103, verse 12. It's going to be on the screen for you. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our sins from us. Listen, how far is the east is from the west? I'll tell you this, if you're in the east, you're not in the west. And if you're in the west, you're not in the east. They don't touch. Where are you? I'm east-west. Like, we don't say that kind of stuff. I'm in the east-west. No, because they don't touch each other. They're far, they're separated. So far does he remove our sins from us. Isaiah 38, in love you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. You ever tried to look at your back without two mirrors? You can do it with two mirrors. You look at one mirror, you look at the other mirror. Okay, I can see what's going on back there. You can't see it. And God says, I'm throwing your sin behind my back. I'm not going to see it anymore. Micah 7, 19, he will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot, tread our sins underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You ever tried to uh, dive deeply into the ocean? I remember this one time we were, we were snorkeling and I tried to go about 10 feet down. Couldn't make it. My ears hurt really bad. I couldn't get down there. We can't even go to the deepest parts of the ocean. We can't get down there. Even now with all our technology, we try. We get down really far, but we can't go down far enough to get to the bottom. The depths of the sea is where your sin is, Christian. That's what God says. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses of our sins. Now listen, this means for you, if you are a Christian, that your greatest need, which is reconciliation with the one that made you, has been met. And listen, it had nothing to do with you, except you brought sinfulness. You brought all the junk that you have in your life. And God says, I'll take care of the rest. Redemption All you have to do is believe. If you're not a Christian in here, all you have to do is believe that. The Bible says, do you believe that Jesus died on a cross for you to take away all of this for you? If you do, welcome to the family. You rise again from the dead, welcome to the family. Listen, I would say that for you as well. That's what you need to do. Trust in the God who saves the the blood that was shed for you. This should be a cause for great joy, the reality that we have a lot of need in life, but the greatest one is reconciliation, redemption to God Almighty. And we've been, uh, we've seen that come to pass through Jesus Christ. And this we see is because of rich blessings of grace. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. This is rich language, wealthy language. Paul's intentionally using this language of the rich lavished upon us. This rich language that he uses. You didn't do anything to attain it. This comes by the riches of his grace alone. It's undeserved. It's unearned. You didn't didn't try and work hard for it. God said this is a gift for you. I'm giving this to you as a gift. The riches of his grace which he lavished upon us. We think about the word lavish. Lavish is a, one of those words where you think, oh, what does that mean? It can be a noun. We're living in, a, in lavish luxury. It can also be a verb, which is a verb here. It's acting on us. We recently just had a Super Bowl, right? There was a, every year, there's Super Bowl parades. 
That happens. All these Super Bowl parades going on. Sometimes they're in New York City. One of the things about, about uh, parades of you know, baseball or um, even New Year's Eve, I guess, is that they do ticker tape parades, right? You know what ticker tape parade is? They take all the ticker tape from Wall Street, they cut it all up like confetti, and they just throw it from the tops of the buildings. I have a picture of it for you. Throw it on the tops of the building. It's just raining down. There's somebody that's the object of that. People are standing around. They're praising. They're saying, oh, this is great. Yay, cheering for them. And all this confetti's coming down upon them. It's surrounding them. It's just, it's coming down. It is being lavished upon them. Lavished upon them like the confetti at a ticker tape parade. God says, my grace, lavished upon you. Church, you don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. This is all an act of grace. Lavished upon us. This should cause us great joy because we have no greater need in our lives than this. Whether we're in a summer season of life, a fall, autumn season, a winter season, or a spring season, guess what doesn't change? God's lavish grace for you. So it doesn't change. You have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of your sins according to the riches of his grace. That does not go up and down. That does not change. That is constant. Meaning your greatest need is always met. It will never fade. It will never die. It will never go away. It will never fail. It always exists regardless of how up or down your life and season of life is. And that is cause for great celebration. That is cause for great joy, is it not? Say amen if that is cause for great joy. That is cause for great joy this morning. We want to make sure we understand this. In Christ, your joy is untouchable. You can't mess that up because it's an act of grace. Your joy is untouchable since God met your greatest need. This is true, but here is the problem. We don't feel like that all the time. How do, we, how do we actually apply this when we don't feel like this? Because we don't always feel joyful. If you always feel joyful, come talk to me afterwards. I'd love to know the secret. <laughs> we don't always feel joyful. I have two ways we can live this out, church. Two ways. The first is this. To remember that happiness and joy are not the same thing. Happiness and joy are not the same thing. Happiness is something that can fade in seasons. Because happiness sometimes is not appropriate, is it? There are seasons where sadness actually is the best response. Listen, we are emotional beings. God made us that way. We're created in his image, which means that he made us that way. He made us emotional. We, we sometimes feel sad because we're responding to something. We sometimes feel happy. We sometimes have these moments where we feel um, you know, we, we feel like we are uh, excited, anticipation. Sometimes it's confusion. We could go through a whole list of emotions, right? Those emotions come and go based upon seasons of life. If you're, if you're going somewhere at a hospital, you'll experience this. There's a lot of happiness with newborn babies and a lot of sadness one floor down when someone breathes their last. Happiness and sadness come and go. Joy for the Christian remains steady, constant. 
Joy does not go up and down. Joy and happiness are not the same thing. Do you know why joy stays the same, Christian? Because in him we have redemption through his blood. Even in the winter seasons of your life, in him, if you're a Christian, you have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of your sins according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us. We, we don't, that does not change. That does not go away. We want to make sure we get that. Let me speak one word to those of you uh, maybe who have not experienced long, dark winter seasons or even short winter seasons. Your, your life is pretty much, maybe this is for high school kids in the room or, or some of the younger. You've experienced a lot of autumns and a lot of summers and a lot of springs. You're like, this is great. Here's a danger for you. Here's a danger for you. You can begin placing your hope in those seasons of, of happiness. And when they go away, you have a crisis on your hands. Because your joy is not placed in Christ, it's in experience, it's in circumstance, it's in, oh, my life seems to be going pretty good, it's in money. It's in something good that, that can go away tomorrow. Place your joy, young person, someone that hasn't experienced those hard seasons, place your joy not in the season, but in the maker of the seasons. And the one who shed his blood for you. We want to make sure we grasp this. We want to make sure we understand this. Happiness and joy. You have to remember it, church. Church family, remember. Happiness and joy are different things. Joy remains the same. We, it, sh- it should not go away because our season's hard. Look, I, I could walk through numbers of you that I've talked with who I've, I've been marveling at because I, I'm, I'm hearing your stories and you've, you're telling me about just a tragedy in your life. And what I get from you is that was hard. God was remained faithful. My joy was in him. Look, hey, if you don't have older Christian friends in your life, people that have lived this life, if you don't have someone discipling you like that, you're missing out on something. Because, because you can learn a lot from older folks who've lived life, this life as Christians and gone through those seasons. They will build your faith through their stories and through their lives. And I encourage you to do that. Happiness and joy are different things. That's one. The second thing is this, as we think about living it out. Live in the joy of Jesus daily. Live in the joy of Jesus daily. A purposely biblical Christian grows in knowing uh, what it's like to live in the joy of Jesus and with the joy of Jesus and for the joy of Jesus. The, the, the Christian that is thinking about the Bible, thinking purposely about it, lives this way. Living in the joy of Jesus means that we remember the truth that we have had our greatest need met by him daily. This is Christian maturity, actually. You want to grow as a Christian? You want to grow up into maturity as a Christian? Remember often this truth from Ephesians 1, 7 through 8. Remember it. We are purposely biblical. It's one of our values. We have four of them. Being purposely biblical is one. Again, we can be real biblical and know a lot of things. doesn't mean we're being purposefully biblical. We want to be purposefully biblical. How do we think about this purposely, on purpose? Here's here's one thing we, we like to say around here. The gospel first does something for us, and then it does something to us. Meaning, the gospel, when we think about this reality of Jesus uh, dying for our sins, and we have this redemption through his blood, when we think about that and forgiveness of our sins, that does something first uh, for us, meaning that it's, it, we believe in it and it saves us from our sins. We, we, our sins have been removed by, by him. We've been set free 
by his blood, that does something for us. And that does something to us because in an ongoing way, it changes us. It grows us. Our faith is built. We, we trust him more because we realize, look, he loves me. And I live my life out that way. We want to be purposely biblical church. In Christ, your joy is untouchable since God met your greatest need. Do you believe that? I hope you do. I hope you believe that is true. I'm going to call the band up here as we close. I hope you believe that's true. This is the bottom line foundation of what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means. It means that we, we've come to him in chains, not forgiven of our sin, of our wrongdoing, turning our back on him, but in him, as we believe in him, our chains are removed and our sins are forgiven and we live in the good of that on a daily basis. Church, what if we were to go outside these doors into Gilbert, this community, into wherever you live, Mesa maybe, Chandler, Queen Creek, I don't know where you live in the East Valley, Tempe, and you went out into your community, not just knowing this truth, but speaking it and living in light of it with joy. I, I, think, I think the world around us, church, is hungry for joy. Feed them. Feed them the goodness of the gospel of Jesus, the goodness of redemption by the blood of Christ, forgiveness. And I wonder what God would do. I wonder what God might do. Look, our, this church is growing. I love it. I love seeing new faces every week. This church is growing. Here's the good news. You get to be on the ground floor and help build this thing. It's brick by brick. This is a brick by brick build. We just, we're just continuing to set bricks upon bricks as we preach the Bible, as we preach the good news of Jesus, as we go out into our communities, as we live life together, as COVID goes away, <laughs> goes away and we just get to march forward into the world and we get to say, look, we at Anchor, this is what we do. We lift up the name of Christ We'd love to have you join us, come into community with us. We'd love to have you come. We're building ministries. We want to do more of those things. You get to be on the ground floor. Isn't this something about great about building? I just, I just helped. This, has, this is for free too. I was just in my bathroom with my friend Bill Wilson, and he helped me build a couple walls in there. I don't build anything. I don't know how to build anything. He helped me build walls. You know how great that feels? I built this. I go into my bathroom and I go, I built that wall and I built that wall. And Tiffany, when people come in, we're showing them our new bathroom. Jason built that wall and built the wall. You get to build a church and look back on it in a few years and go, I helped build that through God's grace. Look, we, we preach Jesus. Redemption through his blood, forgiveness. Your greatest need has been taken care of, church. What joy. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us, and then we'll sing. Father, our, our hope this morning, our joy this morning, I pray it will be rooted and grounded in you. I pray it will be rooted and grounded in what you want to do in us and through us. I pray that it would be rooted and grounded uh, in, your, in the scriptures and in the truth that this gospel would come out of our lips and out of our, out of our lives as we live it out, serving one another, helping one another, helping the community, being a beacon of light here as we think about how we proclaim this truth, 
how we uh, help people outside of this. Lord, you, you came to us when we are our most needy. I pray we would find ways to be the hands and feet, your hands and feet to the community and meet them at their most needy so that we might be able to f- tell them, hey, listen, the reason we do this is because we have a Savior who's done this for us. Lord, help us to see you move up close in our lives, in this church, in this community, all for your glory and all for your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.